Well, a few weeks ago, we started a new series uh, entitled Words, and uh, for those of you that have been here for each or at least most of those messages, there have been four of them now, today is number five, then you've heard uh, why we do this series, uh, the reason behind it, that it's because of what Scripture says about the value and the weight of our words, that you know, James says in chapter 1, verse 26 of the book of James, that even our own relationship with Christ can be invalidated. It doesn't mean we lose our relationship, but in the eyes of others, it, it can be invalidated simply by the words that we use. And so the words we speak are incredible incredibly important, carry an enormous amount of weight. Proverbs says that the power of life and death itself is in, is in the tongue. And so we have to be mindful of the words that we use. And so we've looked at the series entitled Words, and uh, four messages already, and then today is the fifth message. Just to kind of give you a little catch-up uh, up to this point, the first week we laid the foundation, we talked about how your words have the potential uh, to either build up or to break down. Every single day you speak words into the lives of those around you, family and friends and co-workers and strangers and your words inevitably either build up other people or they break down other people. They're really not much middle ground. And uh, so the words you speak accomplish one or the two, building up or breaking down. The second week of the series, we looked at hurtful words, James chapter 3. And we looked at what Scripture says about how our words can be poisonous and how they can be used to bring much harm to the lives of other people. Some of you have experienced that in your own lives, maybe from a, uh, a parent who raised you or a grandparent or a spouse or a former spouse or a former relationship. You experience hurtful words and you've had to learn to replace those words of others with the truth of what God says about you. And that is a lifelong process where we define ourselves by God's word, by God's truth of who we are not by the hurtful words of others. We also, in that message, looked at how there is a relationship between the words we speak and the condition of our heart. That uh, Jesus himself said that it's out of the overflow of our mouths, or, uh, the overflow of our heart that the mouth speaks. And so <clears throat> whatever comes out uh, in language, whatever comes out in our speech, first takes root, first starts deep within us. And so if our, if our norm, if our default mode is to constantly criticize and to be negative and to be hurtful in the words we speak, then that's generated really from a heart that's not right. And that's a heart issue. If we're constantly encouraging, if we're constantly building others up, then typically our hearts are in a place that are going to be healthy, hearts, hearts are going to be right before God. And so there's a relationship between our hearts and the words that we speak. The third week we talked about gossip and uh, the need for us, according to Scripture, to distance ourselves from gossip, to distance ourselves even from those who spread gossip. Proverbs is filled with passages of Scripture that deal with gossip and the need for us to keep a distance from not only gossip itself, but also being those who spread gossip, keeping our distance from those as well. And then the fourth week, we looked at the topic of encouragement last Sunday. Even gave you an, an opportunity to at least start and get the ball rolling on being a specific encouragement to someone through the course of this week. It gave you a note card, an envelope, and you had a pen, you had everything you needed, and uh, to get that started, either jotting a name, hopefully you filled it in this week, or to actually write a card. I actually saw uh, someone last week sealing it up before the, the, the message was done, and uh, they were ready to put the thing in the mail and ready to go. And so you had an opportunity to do that, to be an encouragement to somebody else. Hopefully that won't be the last time, and hopefully that won't be the, the, the most recent time in a long time. It'll be a lifestyle of seeking to be encouragements to those around us. Well, today we're going to have our fifth message in this series, uh, and the message this morning is simply on the topic of rebuke and correction. Rebuke and correction. Uh, well, that, some of you already, I can, I can imagine, are thinking, all right, here we go. This is going to be good. I'm going to learn how to just 
just blister people, and God's going to be on my side when I do Not what we're doing today. Uh, there's, that's a good way to misuse this message, but we're going to talk about what rebuke is, what correction is, and uh, how we do it and how we don't do it according to Scripture. Now, if you ever study this topic in the Bible, you'll find a couple things. One, the Bible says a lot about rebuking others. It says a lot about the words that we speak that rebuke other people. And, of course, we understand there are times that others turn the tables and they speak words in our lives. When you talk about rebuke, basically what it is is that it is exposing, it's exposing wrong. To rebuke means to expose wrong. It means to expose error. To correct, and this is a little bit of a nuance here, I guess, but to correct is not just to expose, but it's also to expose with an aim towards correcting, to, to put them on the right track. And so this morning, when we look at this series, what we're, this message in the series, what we're going to look at is we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about exposing sin, exposing error in the lives of others around us, specifically other believers, and we're going to look at what it means not only to expose that, but to seek to bring correction in their lives as well. And let me just say that typically, whenever you think of the word rebuke, it is not often associated with the word friend. We, we have a hard time putting those two words together in our vocabulary, rebuke and friend. And yet what we find is, and you're going to see this, when we look in Scripture, those that are our closest of friends should be the ones that we are the most willing to rebuke when needed and should be the ones that we're most willing to receive rebuke from when that is needed as well. So rebuke and friendship go together like hand in glove. They should seamlessly work together. And whenever you study this topic in Scripture, you'll come across words like rebuke, correction, reprove, reproof, and yet the Bible is absolutely filled with passages that tell us of the importance of bringing, delivering, and receiving rebuke in and through our lives. So why don't we do this? I mean, this, this, is, a, this is a difficult, not a hard topic to preach. This is, this is not hard for me to stand and preach. This is hard for us to do, isn't it? It's hard for us to be people who rebuke another person that we love for something that they're doing wrong. It's hard for us to think about speaking into the life of another person who's close to us or even someone who's just a part of our own Christian community, speaking into their life words that they may not be willing to receive. It's hard for us to do that. Why is that? One is because I think we confuse rebuking with being judgmental, and it's not. When we talk about rebuking, it is not being judgmental. There is a difference between judgmental and making mental judgments. And there are times when we have to make the mental judgment that our uh, fellow Christian is in sin or in error, and we have an obligation to speak truth into their life in an appropriate way. And so it's not being judgmental. One of the other reasons we don't rebuke and that we avoided in Christian circles is not only because we see it as being judgmental, but we, we often trick ourselves into believing, well, I, I don't have any right to speak and to be involved in their life. Uh, you know, that's none of my business. What they do is none of my business. If they're off in sin and they're, they're, they're doing their own thing and they're walking away from God, that's, that's none of my business. That's their life. This is my life. And that is completely backwards. It is our business. The way I live my life is completely your business. And it's not because I'm a pastor, it's because I'm a Christian, and you, many of you are Christians. And so the way I live my life is all about your business. And when we look in Scripture, we see that so clearly that, that the way we live our lives, one another, impacts each other. And we have an obligation to speak into the lives, whether it's rebuking or correcting, we have an obligation to speak into the lives of one another. You're, you're familiar, by the way, with, with this topic. How many of you are in, in the military? Let me see your hands. Okay, you ever been rebuked? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, probably so. Uh, ch- chances are it wasn't all marshmallows and little fuzzy bears. There were some times when you got rebuked, you were corrected. How many of you ever played on a ball team, been involved in athletics, okay? You ever had a coach, okay? You know what this is like. You've been there. I remember my senior year in high school playing basketball, and I remember being in the game, and uh, it was all tense, and things were moving real quickly, and I remember our coach called a timeout, and he said, Brooks, son, you're about to throw the ball in the girls' locker room. And uh, just lit me up. One, he, that was his gift, kind of. He was good at He's just up one side, down the other. But he also knew how to encourage. He knew the balance. And for us as Christians, there is a lot of value to understanding the balance between encouragement, love, building up, but also rebuking and correcting in love so that others can be built up as well. And so we often avoid this. We often don't want to be involved in this, but this message fits perfectly in this series because there are times when God will, he will, you are obligated and he will expect you and me to speak into the lives of others. Truth that will be rebuking in nature, exposing sin, exposing error for the purpose of helping to bring correction in their lives. The Holy Spirit does this. And and you know that already. When you came to know Christ, when you became a Christian, you didn't become a a Christian, did you, because you started going to church, right? That's not how anyone becomes a Christian. Going to church doesn't save anybody. We we know that. We've heard that a thousand times. Being good enough doesn't make us right with God. Uh, You didn't become a Christian because you're good, somehow outweighed your bad. God said, that's good enough. Now I'm going to sign you off. You're good for heaven because your good is good enough. No, God doesn't work that way. Our good can never be good enough to get us into heaven. You became a Christian, right, because you recognize the sin in your life, that you were a sinner, as I recognized in my own life, and that that sin was sufficient to separate you from God. It had to be paid, with, pay, paid for. And so you made the decision, the conscious choice to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ, to invite him into your life, to take over, to forgive you. That was a choice you made. That's what made you right with God. So how did all that start? It started when you felt that, that conviction from the Holy Spirit, God himself. It started when you, you began to feel guilty. Oh, God, I have sinned before you. Oh, God, what am I going to do if I stand before you and I'm not ready? I'm, I'm just a sinner. I'm, I, I need your forgiveness. However you described it, it started with that conviction. And John tells us the Holy Spirit, he's come and he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And wrapped up in that conviction of sin in your life that you felt when you came to Christ was that sense of rebuke. I mean, God was rebuking. He was exposing sin in your life. God's Word does this. Uh, you don't have to turn here, but for the sake of time, we've got a lot of, a lot of information to cover today. You're probably going to miss lunch, and I hate that for you, but you'll be okay. You ate a lot a few days ago, I'm sure. But listen to what it says, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm just kidding. We'll be done on time. Some of you just zoned out right there with that comment. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. L- listen to what it says. All Scripture is inspired by God. That means it is without error, trustworthy. We can bank on it. It is inspired by God, written by God Himself through men. And it is profitable. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof. There's that word for rebuke. For correction 
and for training in righteousness. So what are the four things God, God's Word does? It teaches us, teaches us truth. It reproves us. It points out weaknesses, areas of sin, uh, areas of rebellion in our lives. It corrects us, shows us how to get out of the high weeds and back onto the right path. And then it trains us in righteousness. By the way, there's a reason for this, verse 17. So that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So a part of the very purpose of Scripture itself, isn't it? It's to reprove, it's to rebuke, and it's to correct So if we don't want to be adequate, if we want to be inadequate as believers, if we want to be (laughs) ill-equipped to do good for the the glory of God, then we need to just avoid the rebuking and correcting quality of Scripture. If we want to do nothing for the kingdom of God, be ill-equipped and and ultimately to be inadequate, then let's just avoid the rebuking and correcting quality of nature. Why? Because Scripture, it exposes sin, it rebukes us, but it also gives us correction. And just as the Holy Spirit rebukes and corrects, just as Scripture rebukes and corrects, there are times, listen, there are times when God also uses another instrument called the believer to speak rebuke and correction into the lives of another believer. So how do we do that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. What if your doctor only told you what you wanted to hear? how long would you keep him or her as your doctor? You've got to say, for example, you've got a, a tumor growing on your body. You come to the doctor and the doctor examines you and does all the blood work and, and uh, does all the tests and pokes and prods and questions and examines. and You can tell by the look in their eye that it's something serious. And you know in your heart it's something serious, but... The doctor looks at you and says, you know, I think you're going to be fine. Just go on, have a good day today, have a good week, have a good month, have a good life. I think you're going to be fine. Really not much to worry about. And they just tell you that because you know he knows or she knows that's what you want to hear. How long would you keep them as your doctor? You know, probably not very long. I want a doctor who's going to tell me not what I want to hear but what I need to know. Yeah, because my health depends on that. My health is at stake. My life is at stake. And I don't want to pay a physician to tell me what I want to hear. Oh, you're fine. Go on out. Those red spots all over your body, it's not chicken pox. Don't even think that. Yeah, it, just, just go on and have a good day. I don't want that kind of doctor. I want a doctor that's going to speak truth into my life. Why? Because it's going to bring ultimate good for me. And rebuke is what accomplishes that in our lives. It's not a fuzzy topic. It's not one that you're probably going to spend a whole lot of time reminiscing about, hey, about that time that guy lit me up and rebuked me for the sake of God's glory. That was fun, wasn't it? Now, you're not going to spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. It's not an interesting or it's not an engaging topic to discuss. But listen, it is absolutely essential within the body of Christ. Absolutely essential. So there are a couple of principles I want you to see this morning. Hope you'll jot them down. The first one is this. The wise and the faithful follower of Christ is active, not passive, but is active in both delivering and receiving rebuke. If you are a follower of Christ, and if you want to be a wise follower, then it is, it, it is imperative that you are faithful to deliver and receive rebuke. If you want to be a faithful follower of Christ, then it is so important that you be faithful, that I be faithful, to both deliver and to receive rebuke rebuke. Why is that? Let me get you to turn to a few passages of scripture this morning. Look with me to the book of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. It's in your Bibles. I don't hear too many pages turning. Luke chapter 17. Did you bring your Bibles today? We can do this old school. Hold your swords up in the air and say amen. Uh, Luke chapter 17. It's where we're going to be for the start here. 
Why is it important? Why is a follower of Christ who delivers rebuke called faithful? Why is that? Largely because of what we see here in Luke chapter 17. The context of this passage, these 10 verses here in Luke 17 at the very beginning, is that it's dealing with forgiveness. Jesus says something interesting in this conversation that ties in not just to forgiveness, but also to the willingness to rebuke another Christian in regards to sin in their life. Look at verse 3, Luke 17, verse 3. Jesus says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So he's very clear. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Why is a message like this important? Because there are people in your circle of influence who are part of this church family, this church fellowship. There are people that you know that have a relationship with God, that have completely abandoned him, that are not walking with him the way they once did. They're involved in sin. They are unrepentant. They are exchanging what Jesus did on the cross for, the will, for, for their desire to simply lavish in sin for themselves and they are completely walking away from a relationship with God that was once completely committed. They're walking away from it. And the one thing that may rescue them and bring them back are the words that you speak, for you may be the only person who is willing to stand and to confront them over their sin. And it just may be that God will use you to draw them back so that they do not have to pay the cost of sin whenever it comes in our lives so that they can enjoy the blessings of God that they have now exchanged for that sin. And it may be your words that speaks into their life with boldness, with clarity, with love, with gentleness that helps to bring them back to where they once were. That's why a message like this is important. And if you and I don't speak them, what we're saying is we love you but not enough to try to bring you back to God why it's important and a message like this is important as well because there may be times when we're the ones on the fringe when we're the ones embracing sin when we're the ones abandoning our walk with christ and we need someone else to speak into their lives and when we do or when they do we will have a choice to make to either harden our hearts or reject what they say or to humble ourselves and to hear what they say and to respond so you may be thinking, you know, today is just, you know, I'm still tired from Thanksgiving. You know, I don't know that I can lock into this message. Listen, there may be someone's walk with God that depends on what you do with this message. There may be a time in your life, in my life, where our own walk with God, our effectiveness as a believer, will depend on what we do with receiving rebuke from another person. So it's necessary to confront sin. What are we talking about when we're rebuking? Here, we're not talking about nitpicking every little wrongdoing in a person's life. None of us desire that. None of us need that. You know, say you're behind me in traffic and I'm, you know, I'm running 36 and a 35. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I really need you to necessarily find me every single time you see every little thing like that in my life. Hey, Brooks, I need to talk to you. I need to set up a time. We need to get together. Uh, I've seen some sin in your life. You did 36 and a 35. I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. He's faithful to confront me on things like that. You know, that's not what we're talking about. So if you think rebuking is now you're the rebuke police and you're going to get a badge today after the service and you get to run around, you know, dun, 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 and uh, I get to do this now and I'm on the rebuke squad and, you know, I'm a part of it. No, that's not what we're talking about. This, when it, we're talking about rebuke, we're talking about ongoing, persistent, consistent, unrepentant sin in the life of a believer. it's it's the stuff that brings reproach upon the name of Christ that that causes someone to look into our lives and say, you're you're a follower of Jesus and you do this? That doesn't bother you? You're a Christian 
It's that kind of stuff. It's the stuff that brings reproach upon, uh, upon the name of Christ, upon the gospel, upon God's people. It's the kind of stuff that we may engage in and we're unrepentant, we're unwilling to put it down and we exchange a want with God for this type of sin and it hurts other people and it brings damage to God's work. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And here's the difficulty, is that God doesn't give us that list. He doesn't say, here's the top 12, here's the top 15, here's the 25 things that if this happens, you need to go and rebuke. No, all we have to do, we have to be sensitive that when God speaks to our hearts and says, you need to talk to that brother, that sister in Christ about this, we need to be willing to go. So we're not talking about nitpicking stuff here. We're talking about the sin that damages lives, that shipwrecks faith, that hurts other people, that brings reproach upon the name of Christ and the gospel. And so rebuke is necessary, absolutely necessary in order to confront sin. I, I would say don't, don't say, don't say you love somebody if you're not willing to do this in their lives. I know it's awkward, but listen, if I, if I, were, to, if I were to engage in sin and, and it was the type of sin that brings damage upon the name of Christ and it was damages other people and it, I'm unrepentant, I'm unwilling to change, and don't tell me you love me when you know about it, but you're not willing to speak into my life. That's not love. You know, oh, go ahead, shipwreck your faith. Go ahead, bring reproach upon the name of Jesus. Go ahead, damage your family, damage your reputation, tarnish the lives of those around. Just go ahead, go ahead. We love you. We're not going to say anything. Just go ahead. We, that's not love. If that's the way we treat those we love, I shudder to think how we treat our enemies. And so we have to be willing to rebuke. Why? Because it is necessary to confront sin. But the but second, second thing to understand is that it is always rooted in love. Uh, flip over to the book of Proverbs 27. I, I want you to notice something here. Proverbs chapter 27 and 28, actually. We'll get to 27 first. Here's what we're looking at. The Proverbs is all, or, or uh, rebuke is always, according to Proverbs, always rooted in love. Proverbs chapter 27, look in verse 5. Proverbs 27, verse 5, interesting verse. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. <laughs> Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Here, here's, here's the way I unpack that verse. God looks at two things. He looks at love that is hidden. Oh, Lord, I love that person, and I have great, great love for them, but I'm not going to display it. I'm not going to communicate it. I'm not going to demonstrate it in any way. I'm going to hide that love. I'm going to, I'm going to keep it hidden and, and uh, uh, keep it uh, d disclosed so that no one knows that it's... I'm not going to let them know that I love them or that I care for them. I'm going to just bury that love and conceal it. And then there's open rebuke, the willingness to speak truth into the life of another person who is in sin or in error. God looks at the two, and he weighs them out. Tremendous... Un, unfailing love that is hidden and open rebuke. God says, I'll take the open rebuke every time. The open rebuke weighs more than the concealed hidden love. Does that make sense? That's what this verse is saying. That when it comes to, to, to love and rebuke, if, we're willing, if, if we hide our love, doesn't matter how strong that love is, doesn't matter how unconditional that love is, doesn't matter how extreme that love is, if it's not displayed, it weighs less than the willingness to rebuke another for the sin and the error in their lives. Look, look over to what it says in chapter 28, next chapter over, verse 23, 28 verse 23, he who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. 
So rebuke is necessary. It's an absolute necessity. But it is always rooted in love. That leads us to a second point. Confrontation always aims toward correction. Whenever you are called, whenever you decide to engage another person in rebuke, and you rebuke them for some sin that you recognize in their life, when you do that, that confrontation, second principle, that, se- that confrontation always aims towards correction. Always. And so if your desire is just to light somebody up for something that they've done wrong for the sake of making you feel better or you've just like poured out your vengeance or whatever, you were having a bad day and you, you let them know about it and you found something they did wrong, that is, that is not what Scripture speaks of with rebuke. Rebuke always aims towards correction, always. There is always a desire to see that person not only recognize their sin or their error, but also to make corrections to adjust course so that they can begin walking back again in the midst of the will of God. So how do we do this? Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to camp here for just a few moments. Matthew chapter 18. So here's where we are. While you're turning there, I'm going to summarize this for just a second. Rebuke is a necessity. It is the exposing of sin, the exposing of error. Correction goes hand in hand with it. It's not just exposing it, but helping to correct that that wrong behavior. That is required. It is expected amongst believers. It is not something to be avoided. We have to be active. In fact, we are wise and we are faithful if we are active in delivering rebuke and receiving rebuke. Goes with who we are as Christians. Goes with what we are as a church family, as a body of Christ. It goes with it. It is necessary to expose sin. It is to be rooted in love. So how do we do this? Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is speaking here. Look down in verse 15. And it's interesting because he gives steps here that are so easy to follow. Verse 15, he says, If your brother sins... Remember, Luke already captured for us in Jesus' words that we're obligated to confront them. All right, So that's a no-brainer. This tells us how to do it. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. So that's the first step. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Here's where we as the body of Christ often get this so badly wrong, is that we don't start with the one-on-one confrontation over sin, that one-on-one rebuke. We start by putting a person's sin out into the common area, out into the marketplace, so to speak, so that the whole church knows about the person's sin because it's been exchanged in emails and talked about talked about on phone calls, discussed in the hallways and in classrooms, and everyone has talked about the person's sin, but they've never gone to that person in boldness and in love to plant their feet and to speak that truth into their life to bring the rebuke to them. And so we often get this backwards. We don't go to them in private. Jesus, however, gets it right. Churches many times get it wrong, and God gets blamed for it. Jesus says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And again, the understanding would be, I believe, this ongoing, consistent, persistent, unrepentant sin that brings reproach upon the name of Christ, brings damage to the lives of others, and that will shipwreck them if they continue. He says, go to them in private. Look at the second part of verse 15. He says, and if he listens to you, you've won your brother. I mean, what a great payoff. I mean, let, let's just use this. as a, uh, This came off the top of my head, nine, 9 o'clock service, so I guess I've prepared this for an hour and a half now. Uh, say, say a person is stealing, right? They're, they're stealing from others. They're stealing money from their company. Let's say that. And uh, obviously, stealing is wrong. Thou shalt not steal. God makes it very clear. Not only is it wrong in God's sight, it's wrong in the, in the law, uh, law's perspective. So it's uh, illegal activity. You could get arrested for it. You could lose your job. You could have to pay everything back, plus fines and penalties. You have to do uh, jail time. 
You may lose your family as a result of it. All kinds of stuff that comes. So say you've got a close friend of yours who is a believer and they are, or, or someone you know that's a believer and you're the only one who knows they're stealing from their company. So you don't even remember how you found out, but you know they're stealing from their company. You have a choice to make. Either you can let them continue, shipwreck their faith, damage their family, damage the name of Christ, possibly have to suffer the consequences they don't even see coming, jail time, everything that goes along with it. Or you can speak into their life, speak truth into their life in private with a very awkward conversation that's probably going to be uncomfortable, but you love them enough to speak the truth. And if they listen, and if they say, you know, you're exactly right, I have sinned, I have blown it, here's what I'm going to do to correct this, here's I'm going to address it, yes, there will be consequences, but what you will find is the last part of that verse 15 is a valuable verse. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. I mean, what a celebration that you were willing to speak into their life and that avo- allow them to avoid the shipwreck, avoid all the consequences, avoid all the fallout that comes from continuing in persistent sin. And God used you, right? He used you. He didn't use some preacher on TV. He didn't use some preacher on a radio show. He didn't use a Sunday school teacher. He didn't use some nice song that they heard. He used you to speak into their life truth. And they listened And God convicted them, much like Nathan the prophet speaking to David over his sin with Bathsheba. And they listened and they came home. (laughs) You won them because you applied what it means to rebuke and to correct. Verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. So that's the second step. You sit down face to face and you confront that sin and they're unwilling to listen. Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Ah, I deserve this money. They don't pay me enough. What's the next step? If that person's a believer, then there are two or three that come with you. And you sit down and you have that awkward conversation. And you say, man, we love you too much to let you keep doing this. You you do not know the cost that's going to come if you keep doing this sin. And it could be any type of sin in that category. It could be stealing. It could be adultery. It could be uh, any of those types of choices that damage so many that bring reproach upon the name of Christ. But we love you too much to let you keep doing this. You've got to see the error of your ways. And so with every step, there are more that are involved. But let me say this, with every step where, the, where that rebuke is rejected, there is a greater hardness of heart that comes. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, this group of two or three, tell it to the church. And the meaning there is to the body of Christ, to those that are part of that local fellowship of believers. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus' hearers would have heard exactly what he meant there. What Jesus was saying was, is that if they're unwilling to receive the rebuke of one, of three or four, and of an entire fellowship of believers to whom they are accountable, then you begin to treat them as though they are outside of the body of Christ. Now hear me closely. It doesn't mean that it's being mean and wicked and nasty. It doesn't mean that you're spiteful. It doesn't mean that you avoid them, but it means that in the course of conversation, it all comes back to this. 
You ever, you ever, ever go into a restaurant, you went to pay your bill, and they had the bounce checks of people that were posted up there to take the thing? I think, oh, those poor people, good night. Because I bounced checks before. Thankfully, it was a while back, and thankfully they didn't know my name well enough to put my picture up there and all that kind of stuff. But I think all those poor people, this is not what we're talking about. It's not as though this person shows up and their picture's on the front foyer, you know, the lobby door, you know, avoid this person if they're here today. You know, don't sit by them and work. No, it's not that. It's, it's a sense of the final rattling of the cage to where hopefully they will wake up and say, how can I continue in this sin when my whole entire church family understands that I'm doing something wrong? Why can I not listen to them? It's discipline. It's rarely done in churches today. Oh, it's judgmental. No, it's not. It's done in love when it's done rightly. It's to help save a person from the shipwreck that they will experience in their faith. And Jesus gives the clear steps to take so that they will hopefully be brought to their senses in repentance. And so it's necessary for the church to engage in this. Listen, again, if, I, if I'm involved in sin like that, and I don't hear from anybody in this church that I've been a part of for over 10 years, and I don't care whether I'm pastor or not pastor, this is my church family. And if I'm involved in that kind of sin, and you don't think enough to speak into my life, to say, Brooks, you can't keep doing this. I mean, you cannot keep doing this kind of sin. And you don't come, don't tell me you love me if you're not willing to do that. It's that important. So the wise and faithful follower Christ will be active in delivering rebuke, but they're also going to be active in receiving rebuke as well. So how do, we, how do we do this? Say there's the person who comes to you, and they approach you about your sin, and they come to you, and it's not nitpicking. It is unregenerate, unrepentant sin that you've allowed to persist. They care enough to sit down, and they have that conversation with you. Understand this, that according to Scripture, the failure for us to receive that kind of rebuke is evidence of absolute foolishness according to God's Word. Someone speaks truth into your life, and it's true, and they tell you, you can't continue to do this. It's going to cost you. You need to put this down. You need to quit doing this. You need to come back to God. You need to come back to whatever it is that's right. And we choose to reject that absolute foolishness. It's not hard to find a passage in Proverbs. You can start in chapter 10, uh, 17. It's not hard to find a passage in Proverbs that doesn't support that. That when we reject discipline or we reject reproof and correction from others, it is a sign, it is an, exa- an absolute evidence of the presence of foolishness in our lives. And by the way, when you speak into another person's life and you bring rebuke to them, understand that they may very likely reject it and you along with it. I remember an instance in my ministry uh, uh, back in the past where I felt compelled. I've done this numerous times because it goes along with, with, again, with our faith. And I've sat down in this instance with a person that's happened in more than once where I, I sat down with them and uh, face-to-face, eyeball to eyeball, more than one occasion, and felt led to, to, to share what, what God had put on my heart to, to deal with sin in their life that was known by others, it was unrepentant, it was just a blatant decision to walk against God's will in a way that cost other people tremendous ways. Had a couple of conversations with them, email exchanges, and man, I got called all kind of stuff. Never got cussed at, but I got called words. I didn't, honestly, I didn't really quite know exactly what they meant. I almost had to go look them up, but I didn't want to spend the time to do that. And uh, just complete and total disregard for me, but worse than that, for what God was trying to say to them. And I was not the only person to speak into their life. Numerous other people spoke into their life. Just Just a hardened unwillingness 
to see as God tried to expose sin. So when you go to another person and you seek to, to, to bring rebuke, understand that they may not be willing to receive it. They may be absolutely belligerent. They may blister you up one side and down the other. But listen, you can lay your head down at night knowing you did what you did in love, in gentleness, out of concern for them. Just don't be that person when rebuke comes to you. You don't want to be that person. Scripture makes it clear. Absolute foolishness to, to discredit honest rebuke when it comes from another believer. So what are some tips? Let me give you a few, and our time is running short. What are some tips? It, say, if you want to put this into practice, and I hope, I hope that we do, then how do you do it? Number one, when delivering rebuke, proceed with caution. Whenever you deliver it, proceed with caution. Remember, it was Peter who rebuked Jesus, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, imagine that one. You know, Jesus talking about the crucifixion and he would be dead for three days in the grave. God would raise him again after three days and Peter rebuked him, didn't he? Peter rebuked Jesus, the son of God, God himself, a God in a bod, right? He rebuked him right there. Peter did. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You don't want to hear that from Jesus. Uh, get behind me, Satan. And so whenever it comes to rebuke, we, we've got to proceed with caution. Don't be hasty. I mean, don't just jump right in. Hey, boom, here I go. No, make it a matter of prayer. God, give me the words. God, help me to, to have boldness as I do this. Help me to be clear. Don't, don't rush in uh, hastily. Also, be careful that you're not proud, proud or prideful as you do that as well. well. Let me just read a passage to you from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1. Great verse, Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass or any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And so whenever we're called to bring rebuke in the life of another person, to expose sin, to expose error for the sake of bringing correction in their life, we have to do that with gentleness. We have to do that with humility. Why? Because we might be the next to fall in line as well. And so it's always rooted in love, always applied with gentleness. The whole context of rebuke equals uh, uh, you know, uh, harsh words and just blistering someone, it, that, that's not even a part of it. It's in gentleness and yet with boldness and truth and in love. So whenever you deliver rebuke, number one, proceed always with caution. Number two, if you're excited to deliver rebuke, wait. <laughs> if you're excited about this, oh man, I've I got it now. I've I, I got every right, free reign to go out and rebuke this person that's on my mind, and uh, I can't wait to do it. In fact, I might go ahead and cut out early so I can get a head start on them. Uh, no, don't do that. You just need to you know, just, just back it off a little bit there and uh, just tone it down. Maybe get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Maybe have lunch, you know, and uh, just don't move too quickly. If you're excited about rebuke, your heart is probably not right. If you have, if, if you have uh, uh, tension and just angst and, and you dread that conversation, listen, you're probably on the right and you know what? If it's me, I'm probably going to be more willing to listen to the person who says, Brooks, man, I don't know how to say this. And I've been wrestling with this longer than you know. But I can't get away from it. And I feel like God wants me to tell you A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I'm probably going to be willing to hear that. When I see the authentic distaste in that person's mouth of having to share those words, it means their heart is right. And so if you're excited about it, you need to hold off and let God bring humility to your life. Number three, be sure, or rather before delivering rebuke, identify who you're speaking with. People are different. 
People are different. Uh, Kevin DeYoung preached a message I heard a few months ago, and this is like the one thing that stuck with me from the message that I thought was just phenomenal. He talks about categories of people whenever we deal with rebuke, that there are those that are, and he labels them as animals, the pigs, the sheep, the wolves, and the top dogs. Yeah, well, who, who are the pigs? Well, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Yeah, I would liken that to the person that, that has been approached more times than you can count about their sin. And their heart is unrepentant. They are unwilling to listen. They will not listen to what you have to say. They will mock the very words you speak and the truth that stands behind it. You're going to deal with that person differently than you deal with a sheep. What's a sheep? Oh, a sheep is like when the disciples would ask those innocent questions because they didn't have the knowledge. They didn't know how the big picture fit. And Jesus would deal with them gently. He would deal with them, answering their questions, giving them rebuke, but also correction at the same time. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, remember? She had huge questions about the Messiah and didn't understand that the guy standing there, Jesus, was the Messiah. She didn't know that. But Jesus rebuked her a little bit, but he didn't rebuke her harshly. He corrected her. And when she left, she had a Savior because he confronted her error and he replaced it with the truth. There are the wolves. It's like the Pharisees. You read the Gospels? Read Matthew 23. See what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You talk about confrontational, in your face, here's the truth. You can't handle the truth. You you talk about that kind of truth? That was Jesus with the Pharisees. Why? They were wolves. They were leading a whole entire nation of people down the wrong path. Jesus would call them whitewashed tombs. The outside, you look so nice and clean. On the inside, you're filled with nothing but dead men's bones. Boy, have that conversation over coffee up at sunrise on, on Monday. See how that one goes with your friends. Jesus dealt with them. Why? Because they were leading people astray. The stakes were very, very high. They were wolves on the prowl, stealing people away from God into their own little fold of their own religion. And Jesus dealt with them very, very sharply. And then there are the top dogs, the people that are in a position where they are influencing other people. This is what Paul did with Peter when he rebuked him in front of everybody because of his desire to disconnect from a certain segment of people that have been reached for Christ. So you've got to think through who you're dealing with before you bring rebuke. Think about who it is you're going to be talking with. Is, just, is this a person who is just a little bit in error? Then you're going to deal with them and correct them a little differently than a person who is blatantly disregarding the truth of God's word and is just streaming people behind them into error and to sin. And so before delivering rebuke, identify who it is you're talking with. What about receiving rebuke? Two things real quick and we're done. Whenever you receive rebuke, you've got to separate sometimes the speaker from the words. There may be people that speak into your life and your first, your first response is to say, you know what, I don't need to hear this from you. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I've known you since grade school. Who are you to tell me this in my life? Well, they might be true. They might be accurate. And sometimes we have to separate the speaker when they bring rebuke to our lives from the content of their words. And then the last thing I would say is that whenever we receive rebuke, we need to prayerfully consider if what was said is true. We may not want to hear it, but sometimes we may not even be ready to hear it. But when that word is spoken and that conversation is over and the person leaves, we are wise people to say, Lord, I didn't enjoy that conversation, but is this true what they've said? And we consider it and we chew on it, and we pray through it. That's the wise believer who is willing to take rebuke from others and to always ask if what they've shared is true.
It's like a velvet hammer, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's a, a hammer that delivers a blow, but covered with a covering of velvet that deals with truth, confronting sin, confronting error, out of love, in gentleness, for the purpose of bringing correction and bringing, ultimately, rescue to those who have wandered from God. It's not easy to do. It's never an enjoyable conversation. But I'd be willing to say that for many here today, you can think of people, believers, who know Christ, who are either a part of this church or a part of another church, and you know them, but they don't walk with God anymore. And he's not first in their lives like he used to be. And they've picked up things, and they've involved themselves in things in their lives that are bringing reproach to the name of Jesus himself, that are hurting others as a result. And the question is, as you think of them, would you be willing to speak that truth into their lives in love, with gentleness, for the sake of perhaps even bringing them back and saving them from the tremendous cost that sin always brings? And if you're that person, and people have spoken into your life in these recent days, and you've distanced them, and you've given them the Heisman push and kept them at an arm's length from you, you'll be wise to consider what they've said. And if it's true, remember that God is always willing to forgive and to restore the one who comes to him in confession and repentance.